Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. I'm Kim Reynolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. Time for another edition of Dogman Radio, Letter of Intent Day. The first one is behind us, and uh, holidays coming up, transfer portal kind of in uh, in flux out there with a lot of stuff going on. But with uh, Coach Kalen DeBoer being named, and he finally filled out his staff, retained a couple of guys, and then had to wait until after the bowl game to get the rest of the guys from Fresno State. And... Uh, Chris, taking a look at the list of assistant coaches he's brought in, any of those really jump out at you? Um, I think the only one that really, really jumps out is Inoke Brechterfield, the defensive line coach, just because it was kind of a surprise. He was one that was really late uh, to the list of guys. We thought maybe Eric Schmidt might be the guy that he would bring on um, in terms of the defensive line, possibly possibly retaining the Kaika Malloy, for instance. Um, that could have been an option. Um, so yeah, so that would have been probably the only one. Um, you know, also, I guess to a certain extent, Nick Sheridan coming from Indiana to Washington, Indiana being an offensive coordinator, a Big Ten offensive coordinator to being a tight ends coach in the Pac 12. So, you know, maybe read more into that. Maybe the situation at Indiana wasn't as great as maybe the potential at Washington, for instance and the potential maybe to move up a little bit too. So th- those were probably the biggest surprises to me. Scott, uh, Anoki Brechterfield, um, his name really jumped out at me when it started flying around a little bit. He was a hell of a player back at Oregon State in the day. He was, but he, his coaching career has been much more pro- prolific, in my opinion. I mean, the guy has coached some outstanding defensive linemen, in- including T.J. Watt at Wisconsin when he was there for six years. And, uh, at, um, Pittsburgh when he coached Aaron Donald, arguably the two of the best defensive linemen in the entire NFL. And those guys turned themselves, I can't remember, was Aaron Donald a first rounder? Yes. He was, okay, cause TJ Watt was a first rounder. And, uh, both of those guys, I mean, have become really, really good players and they were great college players. And, and if he can take some of these guys that, that have some talent, but have, just kind of been guys at Washington over the last couple of years. You know, you got some really young guys for Atui Tuatele, I think has some real potential to be a special player. I think there's some good defensive end guys because it sounds like Washington's going to go to more of a 4-2-5 defensive scheme. Yeah, I, I think Brechterfield and Sheridan, those are the two I, I would have pointed out. There, there's some good coaches, don't get me wrong. But Sheridan and Brechterfield both were the ones that stuck out to me. And, and the fact that Scott Huff and Junior Adams uh, returned two of your arguably your best recruiters on Washington's old staff. So, um, you know, Coach DeBoer wanted to have some continuity, but also wanted to bring in some fresh faces. I think he accomplished that and also got some leadership because Sheridan with that that offensive coordinator back background, 
if uh you know um grub um drawn a blank on his first name ryan grub if ryan grub ends up being a stud and and becomes a head coach possibility somewhere then sheridan could just slide right into that oc spot and and uh um, just pick right up where things left off and not really have much of a change there. So um, interesting way he put things together. Not some of the big names we thought, but uh, I think this is a solid staff overall, and they're all pretty good recruiters. Yeah, what's interesting to me was, you know, with Anoki Brechterfield, I know that there was a lot of concern just on Husky fans. I'm not so sure with the team and those around the team if it was as big a deal. But, you know, with Akaika Malloy here and working with the outside linebackers, working with the defensive line and having that poly connection, especially over in Hawaii, you know, um, he was pretty well known, pretty well respected within that poly community. Um, will Inoki Brechterfield have that same impact on the poly community or is this really that big of a deal? Well, it is a big deal. Uh, you want to have a connection to that group. Now you don't have to have an Islander guy be that, be that guy, but it seems like more than any other, uh, you know, demographic in, in football, it always helps to have a poly guy. And, and while Brechterfield is poly, he's Fijian, I believe, which is a little bit different than Samoan or Tongan, which is the, the vast majority of the guys that are coming out of Hawaii. So, um, I still think he'll be able to relate to guys. I still think he'll be part of that poly culture, but a lot of it's going to be on, on the players being open to, to, to him and, and, um, you know, establishing, establishing that, that continuity. Scott Huff has actually had a pretty decent presence out there in the islands as well. And, uh, I think you'll see Washington really hit the islands quite a bit, but Utah and Utah is going to be a big spot for Washington here over the next few years, uh, recruiting out of because Utah just continues to churn out linemen and linebackers and tight ends, it seems like, every single season. Chris, and the thing that really jumps out to me with this staff is this is not a young staff. This is an experienced staff. Um, these guys have been in some wars. They've, I mean, not at the, some of them coming, you know, from the Fresno State and, uh, you know, the long history with DeBoer. But when I look at this, I see a lot of experience. Yeah, and, and with Brechterfield also, you know, he is a native of Hawaii. I mean, he, he's from Kaneohe, which is on the windward side of Oahu. Um, so he's got a lot of experience there. And also you talked about Utah, Scott. He, he coached at, we- at Weber State for a season. So it, it's not like he's got a ton of experience in that area, but he's been there. He's coached there. So that's helpful. I mean, this guy is a guy who's coached the defensive line in the, in the Pac-12, Big Ten, ACC and SEC, you know, obviously at Vanderbilt. So, you know, that's a guy that's got a lot of experience and that's someone that you'd want on your staff. And there's no doubt, Kim, that, you know, when you look at a guy like Nick Sheridan, again, who was an offensive coordinator in the Big Ten this past season, I mean, and not to, not to harp on it or, or put too fine a point on it, but it really does underscore the significant lack of experience in the previous staff. When you can bring in a guy who's got Big Ten, two seasons of Big Ten offensive coordinator experience, and he's going to be your tight ends coach, which is, which is, which is arguably the one place where if you were going to bring in an up and coming coach or a, uh, or a super stud recruiter, you know, maybe you could, um, you know, skimp just a little bit on the offensive, uh, offensive coaching spots. Um, that would be the place to do it. Yet he's bringing in a Big Ten coordinator. That's pretty impressive stuff. And um, you mentioned surprises, and I don't want to go necessarily all the way back to the surprises stuff, Kim, but I do want to mention um, 
you know, Scott Huff being retained, um, that to me was a little bit of a surprise. And I, and I fully admit, I didn't think there was any way that Scott Huff, Scott Huff was going to stay on this staff. A guy like Junior Adams, perhaps, um, with the receivers coming up and, and his recruiting acumen, that would be one thing. But just based on the production of the offensive line last season, it looked really, really, um, I would say almost a foregone conclusion that Scott Huff was going to go somewhere else. But for, for, for Kalen DeBoer to retain him, that tells you something about what was going on and what he thought he saw out of Huff and his, his dialogues with him and maybe his acumen as a recruiter, the way that Scott laid that out. Uh, I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on a guy like Scott Huff and, and maybe what DeBoer saw in him. I, I just think that last year was just such an absolute mess on so many different fronts. You know, putting, um, judging or evaluating any players or coaches based upon what they had to deal with, just throw it out the window. Um, it's just like a bad day at the golf course that lasted 13 weeks. You know, with it just so many times on the offensive line, I looked, you know, the replay and watched it in slow motion and guys just didn't know who to block. It just looked so confusing. And those guys are more talented than that and just looked like the schemes that they were running. Nothing was in sync and it looked like there was a lot of turmoil going on there. So um I'm not surprised this got huff got retained and one of the unique things i think about this coaching staff is when you take a look at scott huff and then um ryan grubb and kalen DeBoer. i think that they've got some versatility on this staff where scott's not going to be the only one maybe working with those guys you've got some other guys with some versatility that may be able to jump in and help with that offensive line and you know that goes Last year with the quarterback situation, the year before where they really haven't had a quarterback coach and they haven't had anybody really to work with a quarterback to be a quarterback. Now they have three guys that can work with the quarterback. So when you're taking a look at a guy like Scott Huff coming back, I think he's going to get some help from some other guys on the staff. And when you take a look at the quarterback position, I think there's three guys that can have input in that room. And that's kind of what I like about it, Chris, is the versatility of these guys that they've been around and worked with these different position groups at a different time. Well, yeah, not only, you know, is DeBoer obviously a former offensive coordinator. Now you've got Grubb, obviously, with offensive coordinator experience, Sheridan with offensive coordinator experience. You've got Junior Adams now with his experience the last few games of last season. You, you bring in Lee Marks at running back, who was the, the interim head coach uh, for Fresno State in their bowl game that they won. Yeah, the wealth of experience is, is incredible. And I would go also real quick back on Huff. It, it's interesting when you read what DeBoer said about Scott Huff in their in kind of their press statement. He said he's known him for like almost 10 years, which is interesting because you don't really see an immediate connection and, and, and any overlap in terms of coaching careers, but it does go to show how coaches, especially those who aspire to be head coaches, are really paying attention to all the guys that they meet along the way. Like he may have met Scott Huff at a, at a Boise State camp 10 years ago, for all I know. You know, maybe that's where he started to get his connections with guys like Juice Brown and Lee Marks and some of these other guys that have a lot of Boise uh, connections with them. So it, it does go to show, and it, and it really does underscore, when you look at the, the wealth of experience that these guys have on both sides of the ball and the guys that DeBoer has picked up, 
it really, really underlines just how meager the experience was overall with the staff that Washington had last year. Uh, Scott, with the retention of Junior Adams, that's been, I don't know how rumored, but I mean, it's been out there for a long time. It took them a while to announce that, but uh, how big was that in enabling the staff to keep Junior Adams? Uh, well, I, I definitely think it, it's big from a recruiting standpoint because I don't think Jeremy Bernard at the very least would have signed. I, I know he would not have signed with Washington if Junior Adams hadn't been retained. He wouldn't have signed um, back on the 15th. Now, he still might have ended up with the Huskies, but he definitely wouldn't have signed with them already. And he's he was planning to enroll in January. So you really needed to get him in if you were going to get him in in January. Otherwise you would have had to wait till uh, the beginning of spring ball before he got in. But it also helps keeping Jalen McMillan, Romo Dunsey, Jabez Tanay, all these guys who came in and signed with Washington and, and, and wanted to be part of the program and that are really talented receivers uh, to keep them in line, that definitely helps. And he's been running a lot of point with the receivers in the 2022 and 2023 class and 2024 even. They've got some offers out to some big-time guys. And I think that uh, with Kalen DeBoer's background as a wide receiver, he was a wide receiver in college. I think with uh, Junior Adams and you got Nick Sheridan, who's uh, been around a lot of talented wide receivers himself that Washington has a chance to really go out and do some damage on the wide receiver front. You can go out and get some three high three-star, low four-star guys, and if you get some hungry guys, guys who are willing to block, big physical body types and small, quick guys, and, and you can make that into a nice little combination, Washington's got a chance to do something at the wide receiver spot. So um, keeping Junior Adams, I think, is a huge benefit for for Washington, at least on the recruiting trail, and let's see what he what he's like, what these receivers look like here over the next couple of years as he continues to coach them. Chris, the defensive coordinator position, um, we heard some names out there, and he winds up hiring the two guys, um, you know, from Fresno State and uh, William Inge and Chuck Morrell, and calling them co-defensive coordinators. Just your thoughts on the process and those two guys being named co-coordinators instead of having one guy. Well, yeah, and it's, it is interesting because it, you know, who will be the, the, the actual play caller, who will be up in the booth as opposed to who will be the guy that's on the sidelines. Um, I, I, I would suspect initially that would probably, uh, they'd probably delegate that in the way that they would have, um, you know, if DeBoer had still been at Fresno State, for instance. So I'd have to go back and look and see if Inge was the guy that was on the sideline or if Morrell was the guy that was on the sideline and go that way. Um, you know, it, it, but when it comes down to it, is that it really comes down to fit and feel. And Chris Peterson did a lot of the same things when he brought, obviously, Pete, Pete Kukowski, Jimmy Lake, Bob Gregory, all those guys in from Boise State. And so I'm not surprised that Kalen DeBoer really leaned heavily on the defensive side to go after guys that he knew really, really well and guys that he trusted. Um, you know, and again, Inge and Morrell, just an absolute wealth of experience. Morrell is a former head coach. For years and years, um, you know, and Inge was a guy that, uh, you know, I think it was rumored that would have been probably the, the most logical fit. Now, there was obviously a lot of smoke to this uh, rumor out there that Orlando Steinauer, the head coach of the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the CFL, um, would have been a guy that, that DeBoer would have come back on because they had a connection 
coaching together under Jeff Tedford uh, in 2017 at Fresno State. That never materialized. And so going with Inge, I guess people will say maybe that was the plan B or the safe pick. But again, um, you know, from all my contacts in Fresno that I spoke with, they spoke very highly of Inge. They think that maybe Steinauer is a better coordinator, but Inge gets a lot of credit for being super energetic, really strong coach, really strong fundamentally, and will really try to bring the best out of these guys. Um, especially at his position where he coaches at the uh, inside linebackers. Uh, so, again, Morell is more of the safeties guy, um, whereas Juice Brown, Julius Brown, will be the, the cornerbacks guy. Uh, we'll see how that works with their – because they ran a nickel base as well. So we'll see if Morell uh, works some with the nickel or with if Julius Brown does more of that stuff as well. So there's still some things to be worked out a little bit, but, you know, in all – you know, when you asked about surprises, this this wasn't absolute. This wasn't too surprising to me. And Scott, one of the things, one of my pet peeves is when uh, people in the media and fans are just referring to coordinators as play callers. You know, when you take a look at an offensive coordinator like John Donovan last year, I don't care what play he called. You and cr- criticizing his play calling last year was just a total waste of time because the offense that he designed and the what Jimmy wanted to run. You know, when you're a coordinator, you've got to devise an offense, not just call plays. And if you're not running an offense that your guys can run or it doesn't fit, it doesn't matter what play. It's devising that offense on the defensive side. It's devising that defense. And that's where so many people are just getting caught up in the play calling. But there's so much more to being a coordinator than just calling plays. I mean, hell, if it was just calling plays, any of us three could do that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you kind of have to have a feel for things uh and know when to call it and how to set things up and and where where a weakness is is on the defense and things like that. But yeah, I mean, I I, I know what you're saying. I know what the the defensive coordinator, uh, you know, the do you dial up a blitz here and there? Do you what when's a good time to do that? Do you do you run just a straight defense the whole time and then throw a blitz in on third and 5? Um, when the quarterback has been used to just kind of sitting back and picking things apart, and that now you send a blitz and and he doesn't have that time anymore. So, but, but more importantly, he's designing a blitz that's going to be effective, designing a blitz that's going to work, designing a defense, mm-hmm. and designing those types of play calls. And some of it's the execution of the players, though, too. You know, yeah. you know, because there's a lot of times when there were guys that ran free and they just didn't get home. For whatever reason this year, it just, it, everything seemed out of sync this year. And I think that's why we saw a team that finished four and eight on the season. Hey, Chris, with, um, you know, the, uh, on-field coaches, there were also a couple of big hires off the field in Courtney Morgan and, um, Ron McCaffrey. Is it McCaffrey or McKeefrey? A Good question. I don't know. I, I think it's McKeefrey, but I don't, you, it might be McCaffrey. I don't, I'm not sure. Obviously, Courtney Morgan, a lot of people have talked about that, and Courtney is, what's his official title? Um, uh, director of player personnel. Director of player, yeah. Yeah, you know, or assassin, recruiter. <laughs> He's going to be your main guy in recruiting. Comes with a really good reputation from back at Michigan and uh, was at Fresno State also with DeBoer. But, Scott, you talked to recruiting people. They all rave about Courtney Morgan. Yeah, yeah, just how he relates to guys, his his ability to 
um, just make them feel loved and, and that, hey, this is the right place for you. He's not a salesman per se. I've asked what makes him so good, and they just said – he, he isn't a guy who you, you, he feels genuine when he comes in and talks to you. He really seems to care about the kids. He really seems to care about the parents. And that's been a big thing that just building those relationships. I mean, recruiting is more than anything. It is about building relationships. And if you aren't able to do that, then you're just not going to be able to be successful on the recruiting, on the recruiting trail. And, and Courtney Morgan is adept at dealing with, um, people on that level and and knows what it's like to be a player that's highly coveted and going to a place that he wasn't from because he was originally from southern california correct i think so yeah LA. yeah and yeah. then and then he then he went up to michigan and played and was a really good player there and then but but he knows what it means to be recruited two thousand miles away to a completely different climate than what he's used to playing in and so um can he go down to texas and get kids uh, four star who, who is wanted by Texas and Texas A&M and, and bring them up to the University of Washington. Now, I mean, Washington has able, been able to get some good Texas players, but none of them have been Texas A&M or Texas targets. Um, Levi Anzarike, as good as he was coming out of high school, he didn't have an offer from either of those schools. Um, Emeka Megwa, the, the last four star that they've gotten out of Texas did not have Texas and Texas A&M offers. So can Washington go head-to-head with in-state schools like that and be able to reel them in? That's when you're going to know um, how how effective Washington is on the national level. They're always, their footprint is always going to be California, Nevada, uh, Utah, Arizona, Washington, Oregon, and Hawaii. That's going to be their big footprint. But you've got to start going into Texas Maybe find a kid out of the South every now and then because the West just doesn't have the defensive and offensive line talent that the South and the, and the Midwest have. And Washington has to figure out a way to get pluck one guy a year, maybe two guys every couple of years out of, out of those areas and bring them in and make them feel at home. And I think Court, Courtney Morgan is a guy who's going to be able to do that. And Chris, what's really interesting about a guy like Courtney Morgan is I think you're seeing a little bit of, um, I don't know if you want to call it a shift, but I think you're seeing, uh, the rise in off the field personnel when it comes to recruiting take a real rise. When you take a look at a guy like Courtney Morgan, who was making over $200,000 a year at Michigan and now he comes to Washington, I'm sure he's got a bump. When you take a look at what Oregon did, former, you know, the head recruiting guy here at Washington in Marshall Malco, who spent time at Georgia and then Texas A&M and put together some dynamic recruiting classes, both at Georgia and Texas A&M. He went to Oregon with a rumored contract of a three-year deal at $500,000 per year for a recruiting guy. I mean, that's just mind-blowing. I don't think anybody in the country makes that much. But I think what you're starting to see a little bit more of, Chris, is And I take it to the example with Chris Strasser, you know, the offensive line coach who was here at Washington, uh, generally regarded as a really good offensive line coach. And now he's at the Indianapolis Colts and he's got a good offensive line there, but probably not the best of recruiter, didn't enjoy it. But you're starting to see some more of these off the field guys able to pick up a little bit more of that slack for the coaches and do a lot of that groundwork and grunt work and let the coaches just come in and maybe be a little bit more of a superstar, but taking a lot off of that plate where the value of these off-the-field guys like a Courtney Morgan and Justin Glenn at Washington are becoming more important and valuable in the recruiting process. 
Well, without a doubt. I mean, recruiting is the lifeblood and, you know, social networking's really, uh, turned this stuff into hyperdrive a lot. I mean, if you look at all the recent offers that want the Washington staff, the new Washington staff has given out, Courtney Morgan is listed on basically every single one of them. Um, you know, it's definitely a shift in organizational, uh, kind of a tactic in terms of, you know, a lot, and a lot of Washington fans have noted it on our boards and, and, and it's a good observation. There is no recruiting coordinator anymore on this staff. And it's not like Kalen DeBoer hasn't used a recruiting coordinator before because Julius Brown was his recruiting coordinator last year at Fresno State. But now when you get a guy with the acumen and the reputation of a Courtney Morgan to come back to the West Coast from Michigan, from his alma mater, that's a statement. And it, just like Marshall Moncow to, to Oregon, that's a statement. And um, it really does go to show because when you look at the press statement that Washington put out about Courtney Morgan, it says he will oversee all aspects of recruiting and scouting operations for Kalen DeBoer and the staff. That's a little different. Usually the coaches were always the ones that were in charge of doing their own evaluations on their own guys. It was up to the regional guys, you know, the, the other coaches that, that may be in, in, in specific regions, recruiting regions within the footprint would go after those guys to start with. And then it would be up to the position guys to determine which guys would be their, their A-list guys, their B-list guys, what have you. Well, Courtney Morgan's going to oversee all that organization. Yep. He's going to be at the heart of all of that, and he's known as a really, really good evaluator, which I think is something else that we haven't necessarily seen um, in previous staffs. And what's interesting is when you talk about an offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator and then putting together an de- offense and defensive game plan and something that works, the recruiting coordinators aren't just calling kids. They're devising you know, the mailings that go out, the videos that go out, the social media presence and, you know, developing a plan for each and every one of these recruits and devising a specific plan, making the schedule. So there's a lot more that goes into place on the administrative end. It's kind of like, you know, practice behind the scenes on the football team and then you get to see, you know, their fruits on Saturday. Same thing in recruiting. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes before a phone call and an offer even happens. So, uh, and we're also, Kim, I was going to say real quick, we're also starting to see hopefully things opening up a little bit in terms of you know with 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 you know fingers crossed COVID is starting to to kind of dissipate a little bit I know there's new stuff going on but you've seen now there's invitations going out for a junior day and Washington hasn't had been able to have a junior day for the last couple seasons these are huge to try to get a jump start on like for instance the 2023 and 24 classes which are going to be the ones that DeBoer is going to absolutely have to crush, and that's going to be Morgan's focus, along with all the guys that are going to be working with him. Um, you know, that that's the kind of thing that you're talking about in terms of what they're organizing behind the scenes. To and we really- go back to we go back to when Chris Peterson got here. I can't remember the coach, but they had a um, you know the guy turned in the schedule for the recruiting visit for a guy, and they turned it into Coach Pete. And it wasn't as detailed. Uh, what will they be wearing? What kind of a car? What kind of music will be played? What kind of route is they, are they going to take? And that's how detailed it was when Chris Peterson was here. So there's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes than just, you know, what the, what the fans see. But, um, hey, just real quick, Chris, before we move on to, um, uh, player personnel moves with the portal and everything, uh, Ron McCaffrey, uh, McKeefrey, what do you know about him? I just know that he comes really, really highly related, uh, um, highly, um, rated. He is a guy that, um, 
you know, as far as I know, I mean, again, my Fresno contacts, basically to a man, they said, this guy's NFL quality. You've got to snap him up. If you can get him, you, you want him. Um, you know, the quote from uh, DeBoer on him, he's, he called him the best among the best in the business when it comes to not just strength and conditioning, but player development as well. Um, he's a guy that, you know, again, like Tim Saha, we always, you know, looked at Tim Saha as a guy that had a lot of foundational stuff, a lot of old school thinking, but he was always thinking outside kind of the box at the same time, if that makes sense. Well, the board's saying that McKeever is basically the same kind of guy. He'll use um, foundational stuff, but he'll use the cutting edge ideas as well. And he's always looking for that edge. Um, and he's also a guy that um, he mentioned with William Inge, he mentioned a lot with culture and attitude. DeBoer also meant, uh, noted culture and attitude's a big thing with McKeefrey too. So it, it, it sounds like this guy's ready to go. He's also a, uh, apparently a, pu- a prolific public speaker and he podcasts as well. So what about Strength Coach Radio? Do you think we could hit some of that up? <laughs> talk, to Co- talk to Coach Absolutely. Shaw. Absolutely. I think Strength State Coach State. Radio needs to come back in a big way. Yeah, so. we'll see if we can get, make that happen. I tried to get Saha on after the Washington State game. He goes, still not a chance, Kim, but that didn't work. But, hey, um, I'm going to we'll say get, real quick, Kim, um, you know, this doesn't necessarily mean that, that Tim Saha is out the door either. I don't know if there's a if there's a way that Saha – stays or if he wants to stay i mean with lake gone now um you know with with chris peterson out of the business right now i i don't know if saha just wants to take a break or if he wants to 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 find another place obviously he's been doing this for so long there are all sorts of head coaches out there that would love to get their hands on a guy like tim saha to run their strength and conditioning program i don't know if he wants to stay so it would be interesting because if Tim Saha could stay along with these guys, we know the culture that he's built around that program. And I could see a, a meld of McKeefrey and, and Saha doing big things. If, it, if, if that's a possibility. All right. When we come back, we want to talk about uh, the guys that are coming, the guys that are going uh, touch bases on basketball and get a recruiting update, all of that. And more when we return, it's the guys from dogman.com and dogman radio. This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law we are back. I'm Kim Grinolds with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. It's the guys from Dogman.com and Dogman Radio. And a lot of guys entering the portal, a couple of guys transferring in, Scott. And I think kind of the big surprise was Michael Penix, the quarterback from Indiana, who kind of snuck in on a visit that a lot of people didn't know about. And it didn't take much time and until he committed to the University of Washington. Was that kind of a surprise out of the blue for you? Uh, well, the visit was, I know that Washington was after and had talked to him and he had been, uh, at the University of Washington under, um, both, uh, Coach Sheridan and Coach DeBoer. DeBoer coached him one year and Sheridan coached him the last two. And, uh, yeah, I, I think this is a huge pickup. He showed up at Washington on Sunday, the last Sunday of official visits. And, um, yeah, I, I think this is a huge pickup. What now? 
whether he becomes this immediate starter or if he battles Sam Heward and they push each other and make each other better, his presence is going to put a, a nice little bit of competition in there into that room with Dylan Morris, with Sam Heward, with Michael Penix. And he adds just a little bit more of that mobility that Washington has lacked at that position here over the last, uh, I don't know, basically since Jake Locker left. Um, you know, he isn't the same athlete that Jake Locker was, and he isn't going to be a guy who's going to be your primary runner on, on occasion, but, uh, he's a guy who can hurt you with his legs if, if you guys don't, uh, if the defense doesn't, uh, keep track of him. Another coach in the quarterback room is the way I kind of look at it because he understands the offense. He's run it before, but Chris, I think the big question on Michael Penix is his health. He's had some surgeries. He's had an ACL and a couple of shoulder injuries. How beat up is he? Yeah, I think in, in 2019, the year that DeBoer was there, he got hurt, uh, against Northwestern, which was basically a season ender. And then when DeBoer left the following season, I want to say he got hurt, um, against Maryland. And then this past season, it was Penn State. And all three of those, I believe, were basically like season enders. Um, he did suffer an ACL, uh, injury in 2020. Um, he also suffered an ACL in 2018 where he played the first three games before um, getting hurt. So, yeah, it's it's been nothing but, um, you know, injury upon injury upon injury. I mean, I don't think we've seen someone kind of suffer this many injuries and, and suffer this many comebacks with or this many setbacks with comebacks since like a, a Deontay Cooper. So wishing the well for my uh, wishing well for Michael Penix and hopefully he can stay healthy. Two years of eligibility left. I believe that's true. Yes. 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 But my guess is he's only going to be here one. Yeah. Um, if so, he starts, at least, yeah. Yeah, so interesting in the quarterback room. But when you take a look at some of the guys that have left the program, the one that kind of, when I'm looking down the list of guys that left, the one that really kind of jumped out at me and I thought was a surprise is Sawyer Racanelli. Well, you know, the, the thing is, Sawyer should have been playing this year, if, it, but he doesn't appear to be one of junior – Adams's guys and I thought he could have played I thought he could have helped Washington's offense in fall camp and, and spring ball he got open across the middle quite a bit and uh Dylan Morris found him several times I know that Patrick O'Brien found him several times and for some for some big plays in practice and and uh that was big for Washington and and then he doesn't really play he I think he saw time in one game at wide receiver the rest of the time he I think he played in all 12 games but it was in it was as a special teams guy yeah. And he just wanted a place to play. And, um, he grew up a Husky fan. Fa- family's all Husky fans. So yeah, I was a little surprised, but then I wasn't when you think back to the fact that he probably felt he should be playing and he, and he wasn't. What's the chances of, you know, Scott, I don't know if this is fair or not, but with him, he was a linebacker as well. And some people thought he was a better linebacker. Do you think when he returns to college football, he's a linebacker or a wide receiver? Well, I think he wants to play wide receiver. So. Yeah. I, I I think Washington would have been up for him moving to linebacker considering some of the losses they've had there and could lose here over the next couple months. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. You know I wonder if they asked him to move. Maybe they, they did and maybe he, he didn't want to do it. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I didn't get any specifics from the, from the people I talked to. And Chris, Mark Redmond was probably the second guy that surprised me a little bit. Big tight end, played a lot, and uh, he's heading to San Diego State with Cooper McDonald. Yeah, you would have thought uh, perhaps a guy that, you know, 6'6", 250, can run around a little bit, didn't catch a ton of passes, but 
if you look at the way Fresno State ran their tight ends uh, under DeBoer the last couple seasons, probably more blocking than catching. And so, you know, maybe he saw the writing on the wall a little bit and thought that, you know, I'd rather be more of a catching tight end than a blocking tight end. So we'll see. I mean, you know, again, like you said, he's joining Cooper McDonald. But, um, yeah, you just never know. And, and DeBoer said it himself at the press conference uh, when he was um, hired, saying that, you know, there's just going to be some natural turnover. These things happen. Some guys just don't see themselves as fits, and, and maybe they thought they were better fits with the last staff. But either way, wish Mark Redman well. Cooper McDonald joining his brother down at San Diego State. And his brother's a pretty good player down there, Scott. Yeah, he is. And, uh, Cooper's, Cooper started, I think, the entire season at, uh, you know, for the University of Washington at, at one of the outside linebacker spots. And, and, uh, I just didn't see him make his presence felt enough. And, and he, there were times when he struggled with holding the edge and he made some bad reads and things like that. But overall, I thought he was a pretty good player. He probably could have, should have, should have moved inside and played middle linebacker, but they needed him outside. So, um, I think he just wanted to change the scenery. His coaches are all gone. The guys he co- uh, committed to are all gone. And, and he just decided I needed to change the scenery and why not go play with my brother at, uh, a place where there's some ho- smoking hot girls. And, and, uh, you know, I mean, why not go down there and, and enjoy playing with my family so my parents don't have to make a choice on where they want to go and watch football. Yeah. And probably the, the biggest guy that's leaving that's kind of, um, going to hurt the most is um Taki Taimani. Yeah, I I that one surprised me probably even more than uh Sawyer Racanelli. I know Sam loved the University of Washington. I know um I know that he just he and he's an integral part of what Washington has been doing up front on the defensive line the last couple of years, but you know, they lost the guy that he kind of considered to be kind of an uncle or a big brother whatever however you want to call it with uh Ikaika Malloy leaving and and I think that's why he decided he needed to change the pace. Now, can Inoke Brechterfield uh, change his mind? I think there's a decent chance of that happening. But right now, it sounds like he's looking at Baylor, um, and that's probably going to be his landing spot. And he probably wants to enroll before the start of winter quarter. So uh, keep an eye on that. Chris, the one that kind of surprised people or, you know, really opened their eyes a little bit was finding out that Liatu Latu took a visit down to, uh, Cal. Uh, from my understanding, um, he's been playing rugby up around here, but, uh, the doctors won't clear him to play up here. So, um, it's kind of reminiscent of, uh, what happened to Austin Joyner up here as well. Any comments on Liatu Latu and you think he winds up playing football again? I do. I do. I just, I think just because the Washington medical staff wouldn't clear him doesn't mean he couldn't get a second opinion with another staff and uh, make that determination. And again, if he's playing rugby, you know, he must be fairly healthy. I mean, I would hope. I mean, I hope he's not putting himself in any undue danger, but there's certainly, you know, precedent. You know, if you look at Jalen Phillips, for instance, who's playing where is he playing with? Miami now? Dolphins? Yeah, Dolphins, yep. Yeah, so he, you know, he couldn't get cleared by UCLA, but he ended up at Miami and got cleared, um, and Played finished well. off his college yeah. career pretty well. So, um, yeah, so I mean, that, there, there are certainly precedent out there where guys, you know, don't get cleared at one place, but get a second opinion. Uh, another place takes a chance on him and he ends up being successful. So I hope Leotu Latu finds a lot of success and it might be at Cal. 
I asked one University of Washington official, if you had the same injury as Layatu, would you play football again? And they hesitated. And I said, if it was your son, would you want him to play again? And they immediately said no. So football players are just wired a little differently. So we'll see what happens. Not just that. If you love the game, there's guys who will even say it. They've said it several times that I've seen on Twitter where if I die – playing the game I love, then that's the way it goes. And I know that's coming from somebody who doesn't think they're going to die, but, uh, you know, they love this game. And to get to this point, you have to love the game of football. And if, and if he wants to play, then it's kind of his call at this point. Yeah. Also, uh, one of the guys that left mid-year, MJ Tafisi, the linebacker, he left mid-year, but it looks like he wound up at Utah State, Chris. Yes. Yeah. So that could be certainly a lot of family type situations. And I know Scott mentioned that that Taki Taimani could end up at Baylor. We'll see if maybe one of the Utah schools ends up being a player for this as well. And it could find out, you know, much like uh, Puka Dakua, this could be end up maybe a family uh, could impact this as well. Yeah. Um, one of the guy that left uh, beginning of the year, Tim Horn. Uh, have you seen anywhere where he's landed? Yeah, he went to Rice. Yeah, Rice. Yep. He, he left, he left early enough so he didn't have to, um, uh, so he didn't burn his red shirt. He's from Hawaii, he comes to Washington and then down to Rice. That's kind of an odd fit, isn't it? Well, Marcus Tuyasasopo is there. Yeah. Well, I, I just think he was looking for a place to kick. That's what, he, it's like quarterback, Kim. Yeah. It, it, you know, you, you got one kicker usually and he wants to be the kicker. So, I'm going to go scour the the thing, put my name in the portal, and coaches tell me that I've got a chance to come in and be the starting kicker for them. I'm going to go take that opportunity. He would have been the kicker for this upcoming year, though, wouldn't no. he? No, Peyton Henry. Peyton's got another year? Yep, yep. he does. you got to remember, Kim. Everybody's getting Everybody an extra gets, year. gets one extra year. Yeah, I know. It's confusing. Yep. So, um, um, also, real quick, um, I'm not sure which one of you guys ran point on uh, Jordan Perryman. Was that you, Scott? Well, sort of. I mean, I talked to him, but we didn't run point on him until after he committed um, to the University of Washington. But, uh, yeah, really good player coming out of UC Davis, cornerback, six foot, 200 pounds, could play some some safety. But uh, uh, Coach DeBoer said, you know, if we're going to take uh, some some have some additions to our roster, it's going to probably lean toward corner because we're going to need guys at that spot. Um, recruiting, there's still Coach DeBoer said at the press conference that the class with imp, um, with, uh, portal guys and, um, more high school guys being added to the roster, he said the total would be about 15. Which is so, the number we've been telling everybody all year long. No, you've been telling everybody that yeah. because you've been spot on on it, Scott. So. Yeah, nobody believed take- me, but. <laughs> That's What's that? What Nobody believed me, but that's what it's going to be. Well, well, see, the thing of it is, if you take the credit, then you have to get the blame if they take 17. So. Nope, can't do it. No, nope. <laughs> okay. And I have said 15 to 17, depending on attrition. But the thing is, they're holding back some, some uh, not offers, but scholarships, so that they can have guys come in in the portal. And they're going to need portal guys. They need it, probably at least one more portal corner if they can find them. So we've got what five uh, guys signed, and then uh, two portal guys. So that takes them up to seven. So eight more players being added, probably somewhere in there. Well, range. and you also have to remember Emeka um, Megwa was a signee, and so I don't know if I don't know if he's going to be placed back in the twenty-one class or part of the twenty-two class. Well, he's part of the twenty-one class from an eligibility standpoint. Yeah, he enrolled, so he's in school. Yep. 
So no, he's in school, yeah, but I'm saying in terms of how they're counting the numbers, are they going to count him forward or back? I don't it's not going to matter in terms of the 85 and probably yeah. I doubt it will ever matter in terms of the 25 cuz it doesn't look like they're going to get anywhere close unless they start to have some attrition that they didn't expect. I I think they uh I think they had I think they have him as a I'm looking right now. I think they have him as considered a redshirt freshman on the roster right now. So Yeah. And then, uh, Scott, with eight positions left, I expect a couple portal guys. Who are some of the top high school guys on the board that they're really going to go after hard? I know Josh Connerly. Oh, Kim. Yeah. I mean, Josh Connerly is the top guy. Um, you know, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I've been so frazzled (laughs) trying to keep up with all the new offers going out and things like that. I think Max Brown, a quarterback that's committed to central Michigan, um, is a guy to keep an eye on for the 2022 class since they cut, um, Jackson Stratton loose. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you'll see them go after some, some, uh, guys who didn't sign. There's lots of really good players who didn't sign, uh, with schools this past week. And so they're going to be eligible to be recruited here over the next couple months. And, and, uh, so that's something to keep an eye on. I'll be coming out with lists here, especially with it being kind of a dead period. It's a good time to look at who the coaches are following, who they're making offers to and doing some talk, doing some talking to some people behind the scenes at this point though, Kim, I, other than Josh Connerly, who they're all in on, I don't know how many um, I, I, I mean, Joshua Wood, is that a guy who could be a guy that they look at? I don't know. Vega Ijuane, the, um, the O lineman out of, out of Graham Capacity who's committed to Washington and then has opened up his recruitment. I think with Scott Huff staying, that gives Washington a great shot to reel him back in. Joshua Wood, the quarterback, just led them to a state title and a win over the 7A state champion out of Georgia. So those are some guys to keep an eye on. Um, he's committed to Eastern Washington, but I think Washington, if they came in and offered him, I think they'd have a really good shot at uh, reeling him in if they want to go that way at quarterback. And then um, Andrew Savianea, I think is how you say his name. He's also out of Graham Kapowson. He's been a guy that's uh, been recruited by a lot of different schools. He was very close to committing to Oregon. I don't believe he's committed anywhere, but he didn't sign anywhere. So I know that for sure. And he's another guy who I think Washington may keep, may, uh, may be going after quite hard, um, if they think his body's type fits. He's a defensive end tight end and I think he's going to play defensive end, um, if not outside linebacker in college and, and Washington needs guys at that spot. So keep an eye on Andrew Savianea. When you talk about Josh Wood real quick, I'll, and I just want to touch bases on it briefly, it looks like, uh, the entire coaching staff at Washington followed him on Twitter. So yeah. I'm, I'm sure after that game, they probably there was probably a phone call. Get everything you can on this, and I'm sure they're doing a deep dive on him. Right? Yeah, I, I've seen him play several times. I always thought he was probably a better fit at a um, Group of Five school or a or a FCS school. But uh, you know, he's a gamer, man. He's just a guy who goes out and wins, and he can hurt you with his legs. He's I, he had a hundred and. 10 yards rushing in one game I saw one this season. And, uh, yeah, special talent, special guy, great leader. Um, not quite sure if he's quite the, the prospect you want at a power five school, but the guy just wins. So maybe he is a better fit than I think he is at the power five level. Chris, the basketball team, three weeks off with COVID kind of got uh, wrecked with COVID as a couple of other teams did as well. It went back to the tournament and South Dakota. 
but uh, came out slow against Seattle U in the first half, looked really rusty, and then came out on fire in the second half to get a nice win over Seattle U. Yeah, they did. It was um, definitely a tale of two halves for sure. Um, and, and and I think uh, Mike Hopkins said it post game after the win that uh, you know the first kind of seven ten minutes of that second half was as, was as good as the the defense has looked in terms of the zone and what it can do when they pressure and start attacking and um, anticipating you know passes and passing lanes and stuff like that. So yeah, a really good win uh, against a Seattle team that that shoots well, but they were able to limit them. And now they play Utah Valley tonight. And uh, after that, they start Pac-12 play starting uh, December 29th uh, at Washington State. So that should be a fun uh, little road trip for them. Six o'clock tip-off tonight, Utah Valley State again at Heck Edmondson Pavilion. Scott, I know you've got to get going, but uh, final thoughts, wrap it up. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, I, I just, I think that Washington, um, has done a really good job of, of bringing in a good coaching staff that'll do really well on, uh, at the University of Washington. And I, I'm really excited about the pro, where things are headed. I'm always excited about something new going on. Even when Tyrone Willingham was here, I was excited just to kind of see where things go and that tanked real quick. But I don't think we're going to see that with, uh, Kalen DeBoer. I think this is a good staff, uh, an energetic staff and I think they've got a lot of talent to work with. So it's going to be fun going to spring ball, watching them do some work, watching how the off season goes, not only on the recruiting trail, but in the development of the players. And then, uh, see where things end up in fall camp. And, and, uh, this is a very manageable schedule that just came out, Kim, you know, just came out, uh, what, la- late last week. And, uh, um, yeah, I'm excited for everything and, and the direction of things. And I'm excited for Christmas coming up too. Final thoughts, Chris Fetters. Yeah. I just think that, uh, you know, again, it underscores the, 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 the breadth and depth of experience with the staff that, that Kalen DeBoer has put together. It, you know, he, he obviously culled a lot from Fresno State, but he went to former places like Indiana, went to a, a place like Vanderbilt to get an Oakley, an Oakley Brechter field to address um, defensive line. So I think that, that he's done overall, I, I think he's done a, a really solid job of bringing in guys that are going to bring in a lot of experience but are going to be able to also quickly instill the attitude and culture that they want here at Washington. And then I think the other thing that Washington fans really need to pay attention to is how recruiting is going to change under Courtney Morgan. I think this is a, this could be a real monumental time for Washington recruiting. And they're starting to obviously go after some guys and offering some guys that maybe the previous staff wouldn't have offered. It sounds like maybe they're going to offer a few more guys than the numbers that the previous Washington staff had offered. So I think right now in the short term, as we go through the holiday season in the next month or so, watch Washington in terms of what they do for recruiting, not just how they finish out the class, but how they also attack the 2023 and 2024 classes. I think that's going to be really exciting to watch. Holidays coming up. I know we've all got stuff going, which we're still trying to keep up with what's going on, but not a lot of activity up out there, but uh, just keep it here. We'll keep you guys up to breast if there's any breaking news. And speaking of breaking news, if you're looking for those daily updates as well as breaking news alerts, just shoot us a note, huskystadium at gmail.com, subject line newsletter. We will get you hooked up. If we don't do another podcast before Christmas, we wish you guys all happy holidays. And uh, I promise you we'll do all what's in your class out on the hardcore football board here shortly. So for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grinnells along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs.